welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast as you join myself, Alan, the owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, again joined by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am dead on. Look at us. Two weeks, two podcasts. It's almost like we're, we're back in the game. Two weeks, two podcasts, and we're going to be covering six weeks in total. We're playing catch up on the old reviews. So last week we we put it down a little rapid fire sort of reviews podcast. We were quite proud of ourselves for limiting that to an hour and a half, given the amount of content we covered. We're going to aim for something similar again tonight. We're going to be covering comic reviews for releases on the 11th of August and then on the 18th of August and also the 25th of August. So covering a majority of the August releases and tons of great stuff there was, of course. But as always, before we jump into the comics reviews, we're just going to play a little bit of catch up because as ever, you have been exceptionally busy as uh, you just don't <laughs> seem to sit still at the moment, do you? Okay, no, I don't know. It's 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 the the joys of uh, of becoming a homeowner, partly, and uh, of uh, of having parents on the other end of the country, and uh, all of those sorts of things. So um, I haven't been back in Belfast since last we spoke. Um, I, I've been up in the home place up in Korean. Um, dropped my mum and dad to the uh, to the airport last week, and then we had various. Uh, solicitor appointments and such, uh, not for anything criminal, but as I say, for the for the, the purchase of a house. So that's a different life just, sentence, just, really. Yeah, it is absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for that, Alan. I really appreciate it. Um, but uh, we're back in Belfast tomorrow, and uh, uh, we're we're going to take the the, the 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 house exchange and the move fairly slowly over the next month. So. Should hopefully have a wee bit more time in my hands. Things should actually calm down a wee bit, I would say. And uh, I'll get caught up in my reading. I'm looking forward to getting into the store tomorrow. I missed uh, New Comic Book Day last week. So uh, looking forward to, to picking up two weeks worth of stuff this week. Yeah, it'll be a double dose of stuff for you this week. But, well, I say double dose. It'll be a, a dose and a half, shall we say, after the, the trials and tribulations of the delivery this week. Uh, I obviously shared it through the YouTube channel, shared it through the page. We... Got our delivery on Monday, nice and early, things going well. Then you notice a box that clearly looks like it's been dropped in the warehouse or something. And uh, I opened it up, kept my fingers crossed, was hoping it was going to be the previews books damaged or something. But no, no, about 70 issues were uh, kaput, unfortunately. Oof. Yeah, it was. It's, it's never nice. I mean, don't get me wrong, Diamond, they're, they're very good about replacing your stuff. And, you know, their customer service is good and all the rest. But you just always hope it never reaches that point. And... You know, I have to say, whoever dropped that box, Keith, I'm going to have to send you after them because they were clearly a DC fan because it was all Marvel books that were in. <laughs> I noticed, I did watch your, I watched your video last night. I saw important announcement. And of course, if a coffee in here's video, video says important announcement, it's first on my list of, of <laughs> you know, no matter what's going on, you know, stop the stop the presses, interrupt the work meetings. You know, I've got a video to watch. But uh, you, man, you, you came across as, uh, as a mite frustrated, shall yeah, we say? It was a little bit frustrating. I mean, it's... In a weird way, it's kind of nice to do videos like that as well, because A, it shows how much we care, B, it shows what our standards are for what we sell as well. Uh, so th so there is that element. In a way, it's why we're so transparent with the business. You know, we always have been. And, you know, if we do things wrong, we'll always own up to them. If things go wrong for us, we'll always sort of present that side of it. And, you know, people's responses to it's all been good. They know there's nothing we can do about it, ultimately. And it's just frustrating, because trying to organize, we now have 174 pull lists. And when Ooh. you're having to organize those, but also make notes saying like, oh, this will be next week. This will be next week. Mm. This needs a replacement. It just sort of doubles your amount of work. But Aye. 
other than that, tons of great stuff in this week. So I'll I'll look at the positive side of things instead of the negative side. And and I calmed myself down quite nicely last night as well by sitting at my dining room table, uh, pouring a cup of coffee, having a wee cigar. And I sat cool. and read two volumes of Injustice in the space of four hours. Uh, not just a dust jacket, as someone very helpfully pointed out <laughs> to just, me on Twitter. That's just... I just noticed the picture. It was clearly the picture of the dust jacket. As Martin would say, only trying to help. The best um, part about it was I took a photo of the full volume and it was blurry. But by the time I went to upload the post, I'd taken the dust jacket off and went, I can't be bothered putting this back on. <laughs> so I just took a photo of that. But uh, it was kind of nice because I got into a semi-conversation with Bram Bucoletto, uh DC writer, and he takes over writing duties for a lot of it from Tom Taylor. So he was sort of saying, like, glad you enjoyed it and this and that. So, But yeah, four hours straight, that that is one brilliant story. Uh, I and think you the, would really, really dig it. The gist, of, the gist of Injustice, try saying that three times fast. The gist the, of Injustice is what? The gist of Injustice was always very clear. Basically, the Joker killed Lois. Uh, not only did he kill Lois, but Lois was pregnant at the time. And Superman takes it into his own hands to kill the Joker in front of the whole world. And... Slowly but surely, Superman becomes a dictator who wants to rule over Earth and has no problem with killing. And of course, this puts him in direct opposition with Batman, who has his one rule of you know, okay. no killing. So uh, you can see as much as that'll probably not sell you on it too much, because this sounds uncomfortably close to the old Snyderverse, which I know you're a huge fan of. You can tell he took a lot of inspiration from this, but you know, as much as I do love those movies, and I'm more on record, uh, more than enough saying how much I love them, this is just different level. It's just brilliant well, storytelling. Tom Taylor. I mean, yeah, you can't compare Tom Taylor and Zack Snyder. One can clearly write, and the other can't. That's uh, <laughs> the way to talk about Tom Taylor. That's terrible. I'm going to pass that on. To him. But yeah, it's a brilliant story. It's just it's a great other um, Elseworld story. So it's you know an evil Superman, and it's all about how the heroes are divided up, and some side with Superman, some side with Batman. Volume 3 was exceptionally good. It was all to do with the exploration of Superman's weakness of magic. So, Ooh. you know, Constantine comes into it and Etrigan comes into it and Raven comes into nice. it. Volume nice. 4 was all about the old Greek gods coming into it and coming down the middle in the affairs of man. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic stuff. So it is, and I'm, I'm really, really digging it. I do love a good big compendium when you can just, like, sink your yeah. teeth into it. A couple of hours, you know, block out the rest of the world and do it, you know, so... I'll happily throw them your way when you, you know, have a break in your reading, which yeah, is never... Yeah, I was going to say, you're you're sort of waving these things in front of me with your big fancy, oh, I finished my pull list so I can read two volumes of Justice at one sitting, whereas <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to catch up. Uh, I've caught up. I'm halfway through. I think I've only got about five or six issues left from the 8th of September, two weeks back. So uh, I'll have those finished this evening, uh, I think. And uh, by the time I see you tomorrow and pick up two more weeks... I'll be almost there. So basically you'll walk in tomorrow to the return of the King music and you'll be like, Alan, I have nothing to read. Pull list me. (laughs) That's the one. Yeah, absolutely. But some great stuff over the past many weeks. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Um, So the the time is is nearly upon us, Alan. Uh, There's a a wee series starting on uh, Disney Plus this week that I know that you're... That one half of your heart is looking forward to, and the other heart is the other side is feeling trepidatious about. Very, very much so. So yeah, as Keith in- intimates, you know, there's a, a series kicks off. It's based on my favorite ever comic book, which is Why the Last Man, Brian K. Vaughan masterpiece, all about all of the men in the world dying except for one, who is a wannabe magician, and his uh, pet monkey ampersand, and uh, basically women inherit the earth, and it goes from there and. 
just a phenomenal story, action, adventure, you know, that it, it just it pulls at the heartstrings, it shows a, a different world. Um it's just I I try to read it at least once a year. Now in fairness I haven't read it this year, but you know, I've still got what are we at, September? I still got a few months. I can fit it in. I'll inevitably go to it when the TV shows a crushing disappointment. But I'm really hoping that's not the case. The preview stuff looks good. Brand Cave On was involved hands-on as a producer. Uh, so hopes are high for it. I believe it's kicking off on Disney Plus or one of the Disney Plus channels. I think it's Star uh, tomorrow, which is the 22nd. So new comic book day. So hopefully that's a good omen. But yeah, preview stuff looks good. But as you say, half of it is like, please be good. Please be good. Please be good. Please be good. Ooh. And uh, yeah, so we will wait and see. I will sit down and watch it tomorrow night. And I have no doubt we'll be chatting about it this time next week. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Here's fingers crossed. I'm, I mean... You were kind enough to lend me the, the volumes, the three volumes, wasn't it, of uh, yeah. Why the Last Man, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed them, thoroughly enjoyed them, so I also have uh, have high hopes there, um, but, uh, you know, uh, great choice of music for the trailer, um, you know, the, the Godfather of Soul, James Brown, It's a Man's World, was yeah. just phenomenal, phenomenal choice, phenomenal tempo for that, for that trailer, so that's a good start too. Yeah, hopefully it shows confidence in what they're doing. So, yep, so here's hoping. So, yeah, just in case, 22nd of September, Why the Last Man kicks off on Disney+. Plus. But before we get to that, of course, you know, we, you know we've know we been watching other stuff. I'm currently catching up on Naruto at the moment. I finished a good 20 episodes of that in the last week. I only have 141 episodes to go. Uh, I, just... I meant to say, did you notice... You've seen Shang-Chi now. We yeah. talked about Shang-Chi, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Did you notice, did you notice the 90-year-old cat? Oh, I did. I thought you did. I saw that and it was cool. I meant to mention <laughs> that to you last week. I started and, uh, thinking since... to myself about, oh my goodness, a live action Naruto could work. <laughs> yeah, it was. I saw that thing and I was like, obviously I know nothing about Naruto, but you have all those wee action figures and you showed me that weird Ninetale cat thing. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I and, remember uh, trying to explain all those to you. That was great fun. And the, <laughs> the look of lack of interest in your, you tried your best, but you know, you tried your best. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, we're kind of... I'm I'm a little behind on on what if and on uh, on the new season of Walking Dead and whatnot because we're down at my my folks' place uh, and they 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 don't we don't have Disney Plus down here but uh, we did start rewatching well for me it's a rewatch for Bronin's first way through is uh, Peaky Blinders again the Killian Murphy show mm-hmm. uh, you know set in what 1918 post World War One Birmingham um, Bronin could never watch it because. Sort of reminds her a wee bit of stage play, and obviously stage plays is her job. And every time we've tried to watch it, she's like, "Nope, can't do it." Didn't get ten minutes through the first episode, and uh, we put it on again. And this time she was like, "Cause it's totally a, a totally the sort of show, the sort of gritty show that she would like." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't. So we got through the first, and she was like, "Wow, this is great," you know. So we're 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 through the first season, but ironically, there's probably about three or four actors in there that she's worked with. So it didn't help with the stage play thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, I really enjoy that um, sort of the, the the grit of it and whatnot. And uh, season two, I think, is when Tom Hardy's Tom character, Alfie Solomon, comes into it, and he's a he's a he's a cool cool character. So enjoying that. In the meantime, I think I only made it as far as the end of season four, so I never watched season five yet. So looking forward to that. But I can hardly remember any of it. So that's the, the joys of being older. You forget everything. So <laughs> it's all good. 
So basically what you're saying is high level entertainment is aimed at us older folks now because you'll watch it several times and get a new experience every single time? Absolutely. It's nearly time for Lost again. <laughs> oh, well, it's always nearly time for Lost. I can get on board with that. Uh, but yeah, no, just like chatting about, you know, delivery coming in and so forth this week as well. The new previews books dropped this week. So this they're the October previews books for uh, titles due in December. So I believe I'll be welcoming you back onto the pod for that one. You know, you've been a Again, just so ridiculously busy the last couple of months. I just wanted to get the information out there. So I did a very truncated version of it as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe I favor DC more. Maybe I need to bring you back more for a balanced Marvel input. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'll, uh, I'll definitely be joining you for that one for sure. Well, I'll fire you those books tomorrow when you're in store as well. So Look forward to it. But yeah, now that we're all caught up, we're going to be talking some comics. So as we always do, we like to you know break it down into how many titles we have in our pull list, uh, break it down into DC Marvel Indie. We'll be going through those quick picks in a similar format to last week, sort of 30 to 45 seconds. Uh, and then we'll have our pick of the week to finish as well. And you know, I wrote all my notes out for this today and I forgot just how much good stuff there was over these few weeks, you know, mm, but because mm-hmm. you read so much stuff, well, certainly you and I do, you know, our pull lists are always, you know, quite extensive and sometimes you only remember the most recent things you've read, but then you get a chance to go back to it and you're like, actually, that was really good and that was really good. So uh, I'm looking forward to having we chat about a lot of these titles, which we're, we're, we're both on. So we'll be kicking things off on the 11th of August. So for this week, that actually looks like a relatively quiet week for me, which is 24 titles total. Uh, DC taking the land share for me for once, usually it's indie, uh, but this time it's 11 DC, 6 Marvel and 7 indie. And what about yourself? Coming up two behind you with 22 titles in total, fairly even split, 8 DC, 7 Marvel, 8 indie. Excellent. So yeah, a lot of good stuff out this week. You know, when I'm looking at my quick picks, a couple of DC Pick of the week, of course, is DC, given the amount of titles I had. But yeah, real real variety of titles this week. So I'll kick things off with Future State Gotham number four. And I'm really glad that we have one Future State title still on the go, as I, I very much enjoyed the two-month-long event that preceded DC's soft reboot, I suppose, with Infinite Frontier. You know, I find the future of a state-controlled Gotham really interesting. You know, the authorities are more concerned with catching Batman and his motley crew of vigilantes instead of relying on their help cleaning up the streets of Gotham and this issue had had a really great showdown between Harley Quinn and Punchline you know Punchline's a character I can very much take or leave but I think which is well written like she is here she's an interesting character you know plenty of deep-seated hatred between the two as they argue over what each of them you know means or meant to the Joker there's also a great cameo on this issue for those uh, DC Young Animal fans out there and you know who you are Yes, you do, Stephen. Uh, so <laughs> I'm continuing to enjoy the manga-inspired black and white visuals as well. You know, it differentiates the book quite a bit from a lot of stuff on the uh, on the racks. And overall, just great, fast-paced and an entertaining issue, I thought. Yeah, um, Joshua Williamson, I think, is coming off this, or at least sort of sharing the, the writing with it. I don't know if I'll stick with it whenever, uh, whenever Joshua comes off it. But uh, yeah, I've been enjoying I've, I've certainly enjoyed the change. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think it's Dennis Culver's sort of slowly taking over. But, you know, Mr. Williamson has uh, some bigger fish to fry in the upcoming months, it would appear. So, yeah, Future State Gotham number four. So what was your first quick pick for this week? 
first up for me, we're delving into the, the mighty worlds of Marvel, uh, and we've got Fantastic Four Life Story uh, number three, which takes place in the 80s. This is the, uh, I guess, the follow-on, well, the, the, follows the format of Chip Zdarsky's uh, Spider-Man life story. Each issue follows a decade in the in the, the life of the Fantastic Four as they age in a normal way. Mark Russell and Sean Izaxi behind it, and the 80s, we kick off, you know, we've got uh, Reagan in government and uh, and... Readers and Tony Stark are still trying to push defense against Galactus based solely on on Reed's um, I guess nightmares. But the the, the Fantastic Four um, have more or less split up. Sue and Reed Sue and Reed have split, and uh, and Reed and and uh, Thing are living together as single men. But uh, while Sue has uh, has taken up with the Submariner, uh, which is quite something, um, and. Uh, We've got the Mad Thinker here and a tragedy at the end of this as the youngest member of the Fantastic Four saves the world but sacrifices his life at the same time. Um, so the 80s end with tragedy for the Fantastic Four. Uh, I think there's another, what, two or three issues of this left? Really it'll, be, it. it'll be six issues again, similar to Spidey. You've got your six decades. So it's interesting, Fantastic Four Life Story, because I'm really, really enjoying it. But what I do find is that the main storyline of Galactus coming, like Galactus has taken his time. You know, <laughs> I recently read issue four as well, and it's, and again, he still hasn't arrived on Earth, and it's like, how long is this taking? You know, Reed's going to be dead by the time Galactus gets here. Uh, well, it could very well be the case. But yeah, it's really well written. The art in it, I think, is beautiful, and I love the covers as well. And, and again, it's a format, I just think, that works for these long-standing characters. So just the Spidey life story was fantastic, and this has been really, really good. I hope it's a format Marvel uh, continue to wheel out every so often. So, what's next for yourself, sir? Next for me is Rorschach number 11. And I almost feel like I could cut and paste certain elements from my review of Strange Adventures last week. Uh, you know, again, this is a series that's just gotten better the more it has went on. You know, as the mysteries deepen and we've learned more and more about the characters, and as certainly as more and more revelations are, are coming to light, I think. Jorge Fornes is, is producing career best art here. You know, it echoes the style of someone like David Mazzuccelli. And the fact that it's the same artist the whole way through the series, which has never missed a release date, is a testament mm. both to his work ethic and the quality of the art as well. And I feel like after issue 12 is released, you know, Rorschach is going to be due a reread. You know, to drink in all those intricacies Tom Keane has peppered throughout the story. And once again, to appreciate that Fornes artwork. So stellar mm-hmm. issue 11. Can't wait for number 12 absolutely um this is just amongst tom king's best i think love it yeah absolutely brilliant title and uh again when we get to the the previews um the previews pod will probably bring up the uh the hardcover that's due to be released soon as well if you want to get it all in its collected edition so from rorschach then to gotham with the next one yes sir uh, batman urban legends number six which is the the anthology series uh set and set i guess in, in in gotham um we've got four stories here uh one of them is a is a one shot uh two of them are one shot sorry one of them is the final part and two of them are final parts of, of previous ongoing stories so uh we finished cheer which is the the red hood and batman uh story by chip zadarsky which seems to move the red hood and batman relationship forward in a really nice way yeah uh, i really enjoyed it and you're seeing it reflected in other books uh, Tim Drake was the, the sum of all our parts is the third of part of a three-part story which has been much talked about as uh, as Tim finally I guess comes out 
uh, you know, this, this story has really been exploring, you know, his his choices, and his, and I thought it was just a fantastic story by Megan Fitzmartin. Uh, but the standout for me was the Matthew Rosenberg story starring Zealot, Blood for Blood. Uh, a very short story. Uh, we have Zealot dressed up as Wonder Woman coming after, coming after Maxwell Lord, and then Wonder Woman coming after Zealot. Uh, but it's very much uh, the end for now. Uh, Wildcats under Matthew Rosenberg is coming back into the DC Universe, and it's going to be stellar. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, Batman Urban Legends 6 was another one of those dark side of the industry releases. It was a 35, 40 pound book the day it came out because speculators were jumping on that revelation about Tim Drake. And and again, what we did was we kept a few issues back behind the counter. I had people coming in in the following two, three, four weeks. Uh, a lot of regulars as well who had just missed out on it and wanted to get into it. And you know, sort of the mount cover price, of course. But, yeah, it's sort of dark side of the industry as well, although there are second prints of it on the way, I believe, next week. So if you did miss out, you will have another opportunity on that. Um, moving on from the DC side of the my pool list to the indie side, and Silver Coin 5 was released this week, uh, otherwise known as The Origin of the Silver Coin. So Michael Walsh has been, you know, spearheading this series, you know, created this series, bringing on a different writer every time, but he would always do the art. Well, for issue five, he is on writing and art duties, uh, which goes into the long history of the dreaded silver coin and, and how it came to be. You know, I've absolutely loved this series. I think it's such a unique anthology setup because you nearly always have a different artist every issue, but the same writer the whole way through. So I think setting it up with a different writer for each tale was just really, really interesting. Uh, this brings a close to the complete first collection. Uh, volume 2 is due to arrive before the year is out, and I believe issue 6, for example, is Joshua Williamson. So mm -hmm. that man is definitely keeping busy. And definitely keep an eye out for the trade paperback collection if you're late to the party on this one. Highly, highly recommended. Some great stuff. You know, Chip Zdarsky wrote a story in the first um, volume. Kelly Sudaconic wrote a story in the first volume. Uh, Ed Brisson wrote a story. So some really, really good stuff, and highly, highly recommended. Yeah, I really enjoyed the... Uh, I guess I love that sort of uh, that sort of pilgrim uh, American uh, witch hunt sort of uh, era. You know that I don't know how best to describe it. Pioneer sort of mm -hmm. era in American history. It's really really kind of creepy. Um, I was ready uh, after I was ready to sort of let this go after five, and then I saw the list of the writers <laughs> on volume two and thought, ah well, we're in for the long haul here. So I'll maybe stick with that then. So. So yeah, that's that's kind of the uh, the the DC and the indie titles taken care of, but we have a few Marvel titles to finish off with. Then kicking things off with Miles Morales, I believe. Yes, sir. Uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number twenty-nine. So this is the fallout from Miles Morales's clone saga. Uh, Saladin Ahmed, the writer, has been doing so much solid stuff in this series since the very very start. We've got Chris Allen on board as artist. So this is kind of a, I guess it's a. It's a it's a wool gathering episode. We're we're gathering up the various storylines and and the fallout of what happened during the clone saga. And we have a one of the three clones of Miles who survived, uh, saved his baby sister in doing so. And and Miles and and Ganky are sort of trying to to save his life. And I love the family element of this. You know, Miles and his his mother and his father and the baby sister is is, is really kind of cool. And uh, the. The, the the educational struggles of Miles and the and the Brooklyn Visions Academy, you know, the high performers where he's maybe not quite performing as highly as he could because of his, his Spider Man activities. This is classic Spider Man stuff the way Stan Lee wrote it. Um, you know, and uh, of course the the revelation on the last page of this 
you know, Spider-Man's costume has been beat up over the over the Clone Saga, so we get the revelation of his new, more sort of uh, fashionable, urban-themed costume that definitely moves him away from from the the, the classic look of the Spider-Man costume. Um, very, very cool stuff. This is it's just been a solid book. It's just been a really solid Spider book. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a good time to be a fan of Miles Morales. It's a character celebrating the 10th anniversary uh, this year. There was a recent oh, reprint of... I can't of... believe that. Yeah, time flies, time flies. Um, you know, there was a recent re-release of the facsimile of Ultimate Fallout 4, of course, when he made his first appearance. And, you know, there's a whole rake of variant covers and so forth coming up just to celebrate those 10 years. Am I right in saying that there is an Ultimate Fallout 4 in your collection? Uh, there is, yes. That's yes. that's good to hear, given that that's a book that's worth about a grand at the moment. So you may <laughs> want to send that off to CGC, good sir. Not that you're in it for the money, of course, but in it for the no, love. No, not at all. And it would annoy yeah. you having that gap in your collection. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 29 there. And we're going to stick with Spidey for the next one, which is from myself. But again, a title we're both reading and enjoying. So we had Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow number five. So... Another mini-series that came to an end this week, just like Silver Coin did as well, and also another one I thought that ended really, really well. You know, the relaunch of, of What If with this title, I would say it's been a successful one, although I haven't seen any further titles announced so far, which kind of surprises me a little bit. And uh, there was a title that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought this should have the What If logo on top of, on front of it. You know what I mean? It's definitely mm-hmm. a What If story. I can't remember just off the top of my head what it was, but... Definitely should have had that logo on it. Yeah, I mean, I just thought they might have pushed it a little bit more. You know, they had Chip Zdarsky redesign the logo. They were launching it. We've got um, we've got the, the jammed omnibus has come in this week of uh, What If Volume 1. So there, and obviously there's the What If TV show. So it just sort of, I sort of thought they'd maybe capitalize on it with some more stories. But anyway, this has been a really good one to kick things off. You know, great stuff from Zdarsky again and, and Pasquale Ferry on art as they... Imagine the world if Peter Parker had just let the symbiote in and he had embraced both its power and influence. But what was really interesting about this, I thought, was that Peter's goodness came through in the middle of the story. You know, it meant Zdarsky was free to play havoc with the other important people in Peter's life from that point on. And there was definitely a small hint of a sequel, I thought, given how issue five did come to a close. So, mm. same again, trade paperback is coming soon, so keep an eye out for that if you missed out. Definitely, definitely worth it, I thought. Yeah, I really enjoyed it uh, in the end up. I was a wee bit uh, skeptical, you know, after the first issue, but it really it really picked up and I really, really got into it. And uh, yeah, very enjoyable. Excellent. And then one last one just to finish off with this uh, quick pick section. Yeah, one I know that you were very keen on was uh, Al Ewing and uh, Javier Rodriguez Defenders Number 1, uh, featuring a cast of Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme, the Masked Raider from Marvel Comics 1000, who was the mysterious bearer of the Eternity Mask, which is an ancient artifact made from the substance of the cosmic entity Eternity. The Silver Surfer, Harpy, uh, who is Betty Banner, the ex-wife of Hulk, uh, recently re-empowered with Gamma after her death and resurrection through the Green Door and Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk and Cloud, a nebula that gained human form via the influence of the Cosmic Cube. So uh, we have uh, at the very beginning uh, the classic Defenders. Uh, the Masked Raider appears to Doctor Strange. They have a bit of a two heroes meet, don't understand each other, have a bit of a quick battle, all good. Um, you know, and then Masked Raider effectively says you need to assemble the Defenders. He does through, through does so through some tarot cards and uh, it looks like we're going on a multiverse hopping adventure. Uh, you know, what through the through the various uh, sorry, it's not the multiverse, it's the cosmos. There have been eight cosmos of the Marvel Universe. Um, the last one ended with the birth of Galactus and started started our cosmos. So 
it seems that we're we're pushing through here. Dialogue is fantastic. Action is fantastic. All very, all very pulpy. Um, you enjoyed this one as well, didn't you, Alan? Yeah, big time. And I was looking forward to this, you know, just for the presence of Silver Surfer being in there. And, you know, the one of the main things I loved about the book, I mean, you can always rely on Al Ewing for, you know, stories of this sort of scale. You know, he's, he, he's well attuned to doing it. But Javier Rodriguez's art in this is incredible. I mean, isn't it? There was one page uh, which I believe was a splash page, and it was the history of the Master Raiders mask is unveiled in the steam from a cup of tea, the whole way through yes. the page. Uh, it's just a glorious looking book. I mean, anyone who hasn't picked it up before, there's the history of the Marvel Universe, which he also illustrated, and it is just That's a right. gorgeous, gorgeous book. You know, it's very mystical. It suits the tone of the book. It's it's almost an old school kind of book, I thought. You know, it has that Stanley Jack Kirby feel to it, I think. More does, so than does. a lot of modern books, you know. Uh one of my favorite things, of course, was the uh next issue. Galactus Mom has got it going on. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. And of course now you're changing the lyrics in your head to Stacy's mom to Galactus's mom. <laughs> you know you're doing it, listener, so are we. Uh, but yeah, Defenders number one, great start. Um, same again, that was a book that, that spiked a wee bit in the first uh, the first week or two. Second Prince actually arrived in this week of number one, so if you're a little late to that, we can we can certainly get you sorted there. So those are pretty much the quick picks. We're going to move on then to our picks of the week. So I'm more than happy to kick things off, and it is now the third mention of Chip Zdarsky all in one week. And none of it is Daredevil. <laughs> so my pick of this week was justice league last ride number four so for me chip Zdarsky's on writing duties here we've got miguel mendonza on art and i think they're arguably producing the best justice league title out there at the moment with this uh, seven issue mini series and now that we're at issue four we reach the midpoint and get what we've all wanted since issue one some answers there's for me, there's always dramatic potential in making a rift between Batman and Superman. You know, one is happy to pay any heroic price for the greater good. The other thinks there's always another way which will result in zero deaths or sacrifice. So you kick off issue four showing this being put into practice. It's a great way to start any issue. We have Batman and Martian Manhunter trying to stop the boom nukes on Apocalypse. Of course, Batman has a plan and there are multiple fights going on at the same time as the League is split up into different areas. But with the League being spread so thinly, Darkseid uses this to his advantage, which causes Batman to make a massive call on Martian Manhunter, albeit willingly, making the ultimate sacrifice for the greater good. You know, what's fantastic about this series is that it has high stakes, it's high concept, and it feels big and epic. But the emotional heart and depth of the title is what elevates it. You know, when Martian Manhunter is making his sacrifice, between the art and the writing, I think you feel every emotion every regret from those characters you know why has it come to this what could we have done differently if only we'd chosen another path you know it, it turns everything on its head and although the series has been set up as batman and superman blaming each other for what happened and now becomes clear by issue four that they actually hate themselves for their decisions and they're struggling to come to terms with that uh you know moving on in the narrative you've got lobo turning up again and you know he's able to get in superman's ear causing him to doubt everything he believes and that he's been told you know, maybe everything is not as it seems once again, setting up, setting us up really well for the second half of the story. The writing is sharp and detailed, lots of deep cuts coming in throughout the issue and great storytelling and the art is fantastic. You know, the battle scenes are big and epic, uh, but the but also the, the sort of dramatic scenes have great weight. 
you know, pay particular attention to facial expressions the whole way through this, you know, and body language, you'll realize the depth of storytelling just continues to grow. And the interesting thing is actually this title could have easily been all about that bottle on Apocalypse. That could have been the the finale of a series and ended with that sacrifice made by Martian Manhunter. But to set it years later and to pick apart at the very souls of all these heroes, usually so unflappable and unmovable, was a stroke of genius, I thought. You know, absolutely brilliant. And for me, anyway, easily DC's best team book on the racks. So, you know, obviously very glowing for myself. What about what about for you? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was the strongest issue of this series so far. I've been back and forth a wee bit with it. Um, I really uh, am not a big fan of what you call him, um, Lobo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a rip-off Wolverine. Um, but that, so that side really doesn't hold a lot of interest. But yeah, absolutely, that back and forth between Batman and Superman, which is really at the center of, of all things DC. It's the center of the Justice League at all times, you know, so Chip really focusing on that. And some of the Flash stuff was classing it as well. Um, but yeah, uh, very enjoyable, very enjoyable issue of, a, yeah. of, of the series. Brilliant book. And if, you know, we're obviously we're playing catch up. I've already got to issue five on this as well, and it continues that strength. So yeah, just a great, great title. Seven, isn't it? It's going to be seven in total. It was one of those classic DC originally announced as six, but by issue two it was seven. <laughs> well done, guys. Seals were good on issue one. Let's make it seven issues instead of six. So, but yeah, trade won't be too far off on that one as well. And and again, I just another great thing about Chips writing, I think, is that he he makes every character sound very different. You know, it's it's always the skill of any great writer. I think when you've got that many different characters in a book, that it would be easy for them all to sound the same and be all exposition heavy and just keeping the plot moving but you really feel the characters in this and uh yeah it's just a brilliant book that as, as you said i would wholeheartedly agree best issue of it so far with issue four so that is my pick of the week which is justice league last ride number four so how about for yourself what uh took your top spot this week i am breaking independent uh for my choice for the uh, 11th of august uh going with uh an aftershock number one called campisi the dragon incident by James Patrick and uh, Margot Locati. Uh, James Patrick uh, has been an award-winning writer for DC and IDW and Image. Uh, and now Aftershock, uh, he's worked on Batman, Harley Quinn, Green Arrow, Star Trek, Angel, Grim, Fairy Tales. Um, he did uh, the Kaiju score for Aftershock. Um, yes, and, indeed. Uh, Brilliant wee miniseries, yeah. Uh, Margot Locati, he's... Uh, hasn't specialized in comics but he's ranged from comics to music to fashion done you know cover and visual art for sony and 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 all sorts of music believe music and all sorts of stuff so um but it's a really interesting book um takes place the first the first issue is called a fog and dragon uh and takes place in a world that's a, a slight step from ours uh we begin the story with uh, the story of dragons in this world and and how they did a deal with the, the king after the war to, to to uh to to have somewhere safe or reserve where they could breed and and uh, protect the last colony, but then that then that um that deal is broken whenever the king dies and uh, a vengeful knight comes and pretty much says kill them all, and then we segue to the modern day. This is now this is Green Village, home of the annual Green Village rib cook-off, birthplace of baseball player Toby Garrett uh, and uh, this and that and the other and this is where Sonny Campisi is from now Sonny is uh, he's a fixer he's a he works for the he works for the mob the local mob uh, he's a real community guy 
you know he he's from the community so he he, he tries to do things easy he tries to protect the community the people who you know he gets paid paid protection you know from from invading gangsters you know and this and that and the other but he knows everybody he's able to say hello to everybody and uh, you know it all he, he has a pretty good pretty good life you know he he uh, he does all right you know and uh, everybody seems to respect him but he takes care of business he takes care of any assholes and uh, that's all well and good until the day that a dragon flies in over Greenwich over Green Village and uh, sets itself up and a, in a uh, goes to sleep in a in a, in a building uh, skeleton and uh, Sony's bosses get wind of it and. Uh, Tell him, sort it out. <laughs> you know, in no uncertain terms. Yeah, absolutely. Just go and go and sort it out. And uh, yeah, it's it's it, it seems okay until you know the first time the dragon takes out one of uh, Del Vecchio's restaurants, and uh, and then it's just you know it's Sonny's job to take care of the dragon. That's just a it's just a lovely book. It's just a, a great uh, juxtaposition. The dragon is is there for vengeance. A dragon's life is long. A human's life is short, and you know a, a dragon's life lasts for many generations. So, this dragon has come for vengeance on the people of the re- this wretched village. Clearly, this wretched village was the site of the slaughter of the dragons back then, and this dragon's still blaming them. And uh, it's uh, it's just brilliant. Just uh, Sony Campisi's. God, I don't know what the word of it. He just he takes it in a stride, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Okay, so yeah, so so yesterday I was dealing with guys who wanted to sell drugs on the sub corner of the street where we sell drugs. Now I'm dealing with the dragon, um, so it's just it's it's very very cool, very uh, just a very I don't know, very different way of. Uh, there's there's no other story like it. I don't think, mm-hmm. uh, and I just I saw it in the previews book and I thought this looks this looks great. The art really suits you know the story. Uh, it's it's part of mob adventure it's part of dragon adventure uh what's not to like did you did you get a chance to read this no unfortunately no we didn't have an awful lot of copies of it in unfortunately and uh i never got the chance but uh, i may have to nab it off you at some point if you're more than generous to throw it my way yeah i mean there's a there's a a a bit of a comment on it on it about history as well you know because dragons are are historical, I guess, in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when there's a there's a fourth grade history report on dragons by Bobby Pizzula of the Green Village Elementary School in here, and uh, he goes through it and he establishes that what the teacher told told him about dragons was wrong, and all the research that he did was right. <laughs> you know, and dragons might not be so bad after all, and humans might be the bastards. <laughs> he gets an F in his report, but uh, it makes the point. <laughs> I know you love a good researcher as well who, you know, stands on his own work. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Campisi, the dragon incident from Aftershock. Uh, worth trying to get your hands on issue one, and uh, I think it's four or five issues, maybe. So, uh, Yeah, most Aftershock titles tend to follow the sort of five-issue format, so I would imagine this will this will follow suit. I mean, I really enjoy Kaiju's score, which was, you know, all about a world where Kaiju's exist and, you know, Gwinda Cities all the time, so... This band of thieves basically time a heist at the same time as a kaiju attack because no one will be in the city, uh, which was it was a good sense of humor to it, but really some yeah. good storytelling as well. I mean, same sort of same sort of I guess that the the gist is there of a of a, a fantasy world or a, a science fiction world juxtaposed against you know a regular uh, an understandable real world yeah situation. And there definitely there's a lot of humor there. Um, it really it's 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 very light hearted uh so yeah very very enjoyable 
Nice, so Campisi the Dragon Incident Keith's pick of the week then for 11th of August. So we're just going to go straight on then to the 18th of August, which was uh, a slightly busier week for us both here. So for me, I had 30 titles in total. 13 of those were DC, 5 Marvel, and 12 Indie. And how about yourself? What was your breakdown there? Two up on you this week on the 18th of August. 32 titles total. 14 of them were DC, so I've got one more DC than you. Uh, seven of them were Marvel and ten of them were indie. Bet you it's action comics off the top of my head. Uh, Could be. Probably is. <laughs> Other than that, they're probably all the same <laughs> books, let's be honest. Uh, so, yeah, so why don't you kick us off this time then with a quick pick then from the 18th of August. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's hard to make a quick pick of Lazarus Risen, issue six uh, from Image, uh, Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. Uh, you know how much I love uh, the world of Lazarus, uh, you know, and, and, and what they've done. So it's a quarterly book. It's uh, square bound, uh, much, uh, much bigger than usual. But all of just the great stuff that makes the Lazarus universe tickets. I mean, at this stage, I think we're starting to get close to the end of the Lazarus story, which has gone mm-hmm. through the Lazarus 30, 32 or 34 issues of the, the Lazarus single issues and then on to Lazarus X plus 66 and, and this. But uh, everything is starting to really come to a head for Forever Carlisle, who's the Lazarus of the Carlisle family, the, uh, the, the bio-genetically engineered human weapon uh, who protects the, the family in this world that is divided amongst not political or geographical bodies boundaries but financial ones so so coming to a head for for the, the carlisle family and eight who's the next iteration of, of uh, forever carlisle and some big revelations in this issue um really i'm starting to get used to the to the to the quarterly uh format you know the every three months it, it can be a wee bit hard to to keep up with what's going on because there is so much going on in this book and the whole series is just going to I'm going to really enjoy a reread. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, fortunate enough to borrow the hardcover books off you and read Lazarus, so I've been reading it that way as opposed to sort of single issues and now this sort of quarterly issue. But yeah, I mean, it's such a rich, detailed world and it's it's a nice commentary on the world as well, I suppose, and how money will ultimately win out and it'll be money that has the real power in the world more than anything. But yeah, I mean, that. I mean, I'm, I'm not always the kind of person that thinks like, comics need to be adapted to other mediums or anything like that but Lazarus just screams TV show like oh big style big style and as I say this is it's starting to come to that point you know Carlisle versus Hawk and and we're seeing some history there and where the enmities have come from and you know forever doesn't want her younger clone to 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 be stuck in the same trap as she's stuck in and Mm -hmm. tied to the family in the same way it's it's just amazing stuff yeah, so Lazarus Risen number six. You you've got a sneaky feeling then it might end with say number I don't know maybe number eight, maybe twelve. Um, see what see what happens. See what happens. But uh, I mean, you could you could tell stories in this universe forever. The world building is phenomenal. There's no there's no other book or series with world building like it all. Yeah, cool, cool. So Lazarus Risen number six. So. My first one I give a shout out to, this will be an interesting one, as uh, Keith delivered the, the news to me that he was taking this off as Pulis, which really disappoints me. But yeah, yeah for me, <laughs> I love this title and I read issue five tonight, but the uh, the release that was on the 18th of August was issue four of Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal. And for me, this just continues to be one of the most absurd and funny titles on the shelves, you know, not... not everything has to have depth or pathos or character development. Sometimes... You just want something that does not take itself too seriously and makes you forget about the outside world while you're reading it. And Marjorie Finnegan, that comes from Garth Ennis writing and Goran Suzuka on art. 
So issue four brings a close to the first arc of the story as sisters are reunited, new objectives are set. And you can be sure those objectives include time jumping, messing with historical events, having fun and outlandish humor. You know, I was always curious how AWA were going to you know, treat this title when it came to trade and because it's an eight issue series. So interestingly enough, this week, the trade actually hits the first trade paperbacks out this week. They can still adhere to their nine pound price point, but also issue five is out this week as well. So if you enjoy the first four issues in the trade, issue five is out this week as well. And issue five is every bit as absurd. And I understand the humor is probably not for everybody. Uh, and including my my cohort tonight, I would say <laughs> a little bit goes yeah, a long way in this just, universe, does it? Yeah, I think so, and I think that little, I've had my little bit now, uh, <laughs> you know. So it was, it was, I just, yeah, just, yeah, I, uh, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's o- it's over for me, Alan. It's over for it's me. It's <laughs> also easily one of the most adult titles on the shelves, to say the least. You know, do not leave this land around if you have young kids because you will, you know, scar them for life. <laughs> but no, I really enjoy it. I think it's just tremendous fun. And, you know, it's as deep as a puddle. But, you know, as I say, sometimes I don't mind that when, you know, three quarters of my titles are all world building and, you know, character development and, you know, guilt and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I just I just love this title. I think it's just tremendous fun. So, yeah, Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal number four. Uh, what's next up then for yourself? Uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number three of eight by Tom King and Vilkus Everly. Uh, this this book just gets better with every issue. Uh, this is phenomenal. It is the best thing that Tom King is putting out at the minute uh, for me. Uh, it's just it's so good. It looks so good as well, and um, it's the book just the art matches the book. So we've got Supergirl. She's journeying across the cosmos. Uh, she's partnered up with a with a young alien called Ruthier uh to bring a killer the, the 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 kids killer of the kid's father to justice the killer's called creme and they find themselves on a on a small out of the way planet small-minded place in the edge of the galaxy but it's the first planet that supergirl's been on that has a yellow sun um so there's a bit of a cold welcome and it, it leaves supergirl a bit suspicious and uh you know everything just seems everything's a veneer of happiness and they're hiding a secret and whenever we find out what that secret is at the end, it's just tragedy. And uh, you know, everything is reflected on, on on what we know of our own our own planet and our own societies. You know, and you know, this Ruthie is is journeying with with Kara, with Supergirl, one of the most powerful beings in the universe. And uh, you know, her at the end, Supergirl ends up with her arm around her, as 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 Ruthie says, "It's too big and we're too small." Uh, you know, it says so much, you know, about it's such, such a good book. I think this is Tom King at the height of his power. Did you not think that was a little nod to Man of Steel? Maybe you don't know it as well as I do, obviously, but you think of that scene at the start where Clark's senses are overloading him and he doesn't know how to handle them all. And he runs and hides <sighs> yeah. in the closet and then he goes, the world's too big, mom. And he's like, oh, just make it small. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, could be, could be. But to me, you know, it, it it's that, that... You know, it's too, it's too big, and we're too small. It's, it's, to me, it's about you know the the problems that we face. You know, racism and uh, you know also the, the 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 wealth gap and climate change. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. I just, it's so good. That's such a good series, and just feels like I don't know, um, like a pulpy type series. Love it, absolutely love it. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's the strength of Tom Keane as a writer, I think, is that he can take these... I mean, Supergirl is not a B-level character, but she's not the big S, you know what I mean? She's, you know, maybe a character that less people would be willing to give a chance to. Uh, you think of how he did it with Mr. Miracle as well, and we've got the upcoming Human Target as well, and he could just suddenly turn it into poetry, and then the art is just next-level good. I mean, Bill, as good as the writing is, the art probably supersedes it as well, so... Um, yeah, this this I mean this issue was right at the top for me with regard to to this and, and my my pick of the week. They were neck and neck. Like this is this is an Eisner award winning best issue, definitely. Yeah, I think if it wasn't for a, a certain other DC title this week, this would have been your pick of the week. But there's definitely. a very good reason that it's not, which we will certainly get to in due time. But one I would certainly put close to it this week, actually, from DC as well, is uh, another super-related title, and it's Superman Red and Blue, number six. So I have to apologize, first of all, in advance. This is going to be longer than 30 seconds, so uh, don't don't hate me. But yeah, this, <laughs> this was a bittersweet issue for me because it was absolutely fantastic, but it sadly closes out DC's, in my opinion, best anthology title of recent years. You know, for issue six, we have stories from creators such as Sophie Campbell, Steve Pooh, Rex Ogle, Mike Norton, and the standout for me, of course, from Tom Keane and Paolo Rivera. And I've spoken before about how I struggle with Superman as a character in long-form storytelling, you know, because for me, there's only so many times kryptonite can be used or endangering his family can be used or magic, you know, before it becomes repetitive. But with these short vignette stories, I feel you can boil the stories down to their base elements and and focus on how Superman inspires others instead of every story having to be about how he saves the world. You know, take the last story, for example, in this one, whereby just revealing his identity of Clark Kent to the world, he's able to inspire a young man to come out to his family. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a fantastic tale in here that's all about Clark and why he decided to become a reporter and all the securities that are the insecurities, sorry, that come with it. You know, does anyone even read my work? Does it matter? It's... It's nice to know even Superman can doubt himself. But the Tom Keane Paolo Rivera story is outstanding. You know, it follows a waitress who works at a cafe in Smallville and is present for so many of the big moments in Clark's life. Uh, the last page or two are some of the most heartfelt comics I've read in a long time and an absolute testament to the perfect synchronicity of the creative team. This, similar to what you said about Supergirl, this was almost my pick of the week. You know, and I cannot recommend the trade collection of this enough, which is due very, very soon. And I think you, I think for you, issue five is your favorite of the series. I think this might have pipped it for me just, just. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed this issue a lot for all the reasons that you just you've just said. But issue five was just just. I mean, issue five had me in tears. Um, is it because issue five had was, crypto? Uh that. But I think <laughs> it was the. I think. It was the the Jonathan Kent as a as a struggling father uh, was was a real uh, heartbreaker for me. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. But this was a great issue too. I've I've enjoyed this series way more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, big time, definitely for me. And obviously, as a died in the world Batman fan, it's uh, it's probably a surprise to some people that I enjoyed Red and Blue Superman more than Black and White Batman, to be honest. But yeah, brilliant series all round and some fantastic storytelling the whole way through so that was superman red and blue number six what have we got up next for us then uh swinging into marvel for the first time this week and we're looking at moon knight number two which was just as good as the first issue um it's uh yeah it was just i mean jed mckay is the 
is the writer on this, and it feels like he's he's building something big with this run. He's building something greater, and I say that after only after only two issues, you know, of uh, of Moon Knight establishing his territory and the people in it who are under his protection, and that of the Midnight Mission. Uh, but something's turning elderly residents into gangs of weapons against Moon Knight and leaving a trail of, of violence. And in order to in order to uh, to figure out what's going on, Moon Knight has to venture into his own mind uh, and that of the that of the villain. And the the art is by uh, by uh, Capuccio. Is by Alessandro Alessandro Capuccio is really dynamic. And it's really gritty, really matches the story style and the sequence in Mark Spector's broken mind is brilliantly done. It's just it's fantastic stuff. And the 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 stuff with his his new secretary who is a vampire and what she's struggling with is is just great. Uh, he, he spends most of his time in the in the Mr. Knight persona, which is the the Moon Knight in the in the silver suit, you know, with the mask on. Uh, you know, just the silver, you know, three-piece suit. Uh, it's just a cool, a cool visual. Um, so yeah, really enjoying uh, Midnight. What about yourself on that? Yeah, it's a great intro series. I think for people who are unfamiliar with the character, and as you say, the art is definitely the standout for me. I I get the feeling Jed McKay is is slow building here, but as you say, he's a lot of pieces he's moving into place with it. Mm. And mm-hmm. issue three is due out this week, and I'm I'm looking forward to continuing it. With yeah, the art really stands out for me. Alessandro Capuccio is a is an artist I don't really know very mm-hmm. well. But definitely one to be keeping an eye out for. So yeah, really, really strong title so far, Moon Knight, and and people are digging it. You know, it's um, I think it's maybe fourth on our Marvel pools in terms of numbers. Uh, so it's in some good company. It's up there with you know Amazing Spider Man and you know Ven- the upcoming Venom and and Hulk and so forth. So it's it's doing well for what is probably a, a lower tier character for Marvel, but definitely an interesting one to to dissect. So yeah, Moon Knight number two. Uh, one last one just for me this week is uh, an indie series from Image, uh, which is Ascender number 18. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to this Image title from Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wayne. You know, issue 18 actually brings the story to a close. And Ascender is a sequel to their earlier hit series, Descender. Uh, and I thought Ascender was brilliant from start to finish. You know, we're, whereas Descender focused on the rise of artificial intelligence and cybernetics, uh, Ascender follows that up by detailing the rise of magic in the aftermath so it's two very different series but they're two different sides of the same coin if you will uh, it's a brilliant and seductive world that, that Lemire and Wayne have created you know with a clear emphasis between good and bad there's some great character work some crossover characters between the series as well and it's just great sci-fi fantasy in general uh, highly recommend starting at Descender and, and, and working your way through the trades really really solid work it Essentially comes in at, I think, at 36 issues. There was 18 of Descender and 18 of Ascender. So definitely, definitely worth your time. But I believe we're going to finish off this week's quick picks in the mighty world of Marvel. Yes, in the mighty Marvel style, indeed. Um, so I'll burn through these quickly. I've got uh, Sinister War number three. I've got a lovely Mark Bagley uh, variant cover. And you know I'm not a sucker for variant covers. But uh, that's what I'm on. So Nick Spencer and Ed Breeson in this. Mark Bagley, Carlos Gomez, and Zay Carlos on part three of Sinister War. This 
just continues the supervillain free-for-all with Spider-Man trying his best to stay alive. Really feels like one of Spider-Man's darkest hours, and it just keeps getting better. It's one knockdown, drag-out fight, but at the heart of it, it still has the optimism and hope that every Spider-Man adventure should have. So we've got Spidey up against Doc Ock's Sinister Six, Beatles' Sinister Syndicate, Foreigner's Wild Pack, Vulture Savage Six, Savage Six and Boomerang and the Savage Spose of Spider-Man all happening in Kindred's mysterious graveyard and he's the one directing the whole thing and uh, you know as Spidey's up against these 30 villains and he's webbing up his ribs as you know and he's sin eaters they oh it's just it's just terrible I mean he's really been 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 taken to the edge of of of, of everything that that he has you know um but we, we love to see Spider-Man tortured before he makes his big comeback. But really, <laughs> really, I really want to see him make the big comeback because Nick Spencer has been ringing him for months, like months, um, you know. So, But yeah, really, really enjoying uh, Sinister War and then the stuff that's happening in Amazing Spider-Man. Very, very good stuff indeed. Um, is, that, to... is, is that why Marvel are taking Nick Spencer off Spider-Man? They're just like, look, you've tortured this poor lad enough. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Spider-Man was made to be tortured, but you're going too far, Nick. Too far. <laughs> so we've got uh, my uh, my my monthly visit into Iron Man territory to try and convince you that uh, you need to buy this. You know what's going to happen, Alan? I'm just going to buy the trade. That's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> you're um, hoping you get me in yeah, Secret Santa this year, are you? Well, Iron Man go. trade coming your way. <laughs> um, we'll see what happens, but yeah. So this is Christopher Cantwell and uh, Angel Unjeta's um, Iron Man, and it's such a good story. This is a wee, it's kind of a wee side adventure uh, from the ongoing story. We've got Iron Man, you know. I guess he's 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 been transported to this planet the, the, as as the uh, vastly outmatched uh, friends, uh, including the brilliant Scarlet Spider head towards Tattoo to take down uh, Korvac, but Tony has been transported to this other world and it's really a character piece, uh, you know, and he's becoming addicted to the the morphine in his armour that's trying to, to stop him from feeling all the pain he's in from his broken body and the stuff that's going on, Stiltman's involved and Ultimo's, the Ultimo robots are involved and it's just, it's all character and, you know, how you who Tony Stark is informs his decisions and every decision, every decision in the book. I mean, this is why I think you need to read this. It's about one man. It's about his complicated relationship with his friends, with the world around him. And that is why this book is going to be talked about for years to come. This is setting the standard for, for modern day Iron Man. And uh, Cantwell is just absolutely nailing it. He's so good. I am looking forward to getting back to the to the main, you know, the eventual confrontation with Korvac, but these these issues set in this side planet have just been great action, human moments, the larger purpose of Tony Stark as he refines himself. Very, very good stuff. I won't ask you if you're on this because I know you're not, but <laughs> are you on Kang the Conqueror by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing? I have not, but you're about to convince me why I should be. You absolutely should, not least because we know Kang is the next big bad in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, this is a great introduction to a classic Marvel villain for new readers, uh, of which I know you're not a new reader, but it would be a great introduction to Kang for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an incredibly powerful villain, but this presents him in a really cool way uh, as 
in a cyclical way as as older Kang, who is not yet a Mortis, uh, comes to find his younger self in the 30th century to 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 guide him towards becoming the conqueror. It's a really unique examination of who Kang is and what Kang is and what made Kang is and uh, and, and time travel and, and everything. That's really really sharp writing by uh, by by Colin Kelly and the the excellent just excellent art as well. Really good stuff. I would highly recommend picking up uh, issue one of this, uh, Alan. Uh, even if all you know about Kang is is you know the odd bit of stuff from the Fantastic Four or the fact that he was the Pharaoh Ramatot and will eventually become a mortis. Just mm-hmm. this is this is what you need. Pick up issue one. Uh, Going to be a, a great trade, but we're only one issue in, so do yourself a favor. Yeah, I think we've still some issue ones in the store, so maybe I'll just uh, throw it in the pile tomorrow on your recommendation. And it would just really amuse me to throw that in the pile long before I throw any Iron Man on the pile. Uh, <laughs> you see, you're just you're cutting off your nose to spite your face here. You really are. <laughs> Out of pure um, interest but... on Iron Man, um, when did Cafu leave his artist? Did he just do the first arc? Just uh, I noticed you said it was Angel and Zeta on that on that issue. Was um, I think Cafu left after was it issue six possibly? So maybe the first arc. Maybe first story, um, story but arc. you know what? It wasn't it wasn't a jarring change. No, that's always um, good to hear. No, but uh, but uh, yeah. So yeah, back to Kang the Conqueror number one. Uh, go ahead and, and pick it up. I think this is going to be a, a, a don't want to miss miniseries. Cool. No worries. Well, I shall throw it in the pile tomorrow when I go in in the morning. So. Cool, cool. So that brings to an end the sort of you know quick picks, honourable mentions, whatever way you want to put it. So we'll just finish off the 18th of August releases with our pick of the week. And I'll be honest, I would have been more than happy to pick Keith's pick of the week as my pick of the week. But we thought we'd separate two titles out and I definitely found a very deserving one. So for me, my pick of the week is Eat the Rich number one. And this was a title I've looked forward to for a while. I saw it in the previews. I pushed it on the previews pod. I, I pushed it on, on the YouTube videos and stuff like that. And it's another Boom Studios number one that takes the top spot for me. It's Boom is one publisher that is just on a roll and just keeps churning out great titles. And the best thing about the titles they keep releasing is that they are very diverse and they cover a wide variety of genres. With Eat the Rich, we have a commentary on modern life, class structure, the haves and have-nots, and a sprinkling of horror thrown in for good measure. You know, first up, I have to say, these are creators who I must confess to know very little about their previous work. You know, given the quality of this, though, I will certainly be looking out for writer Sarah Gailey and artist Pius Back. The script is tight, it's witty, it moves at a great pace, and the artwork perfectly complements the, the mood being set up. And the setup feels a little bit like the movie Get Out, I think, but with the roles reversed. Mm. You know, here it's the girl who's going to meet her boyfriend's parents rather than the man who's going to meet his girlfriend's parents. And uh, so the girl, she's going to meet her boyfriend's parents in their small hometown, not knowing what the horrors lies before her. So our protagonist is Joey, who is exceptionally smart and capable. You know, she's off to law school after all. But she's also cool and quirky and not at all wrapped up in possessions and stature. Her boyfriend Aster comes from wealth and privilege, though we can and um, we certainly learn throughout the issue though that he's tried to step away from it a little bit where he can. So on the way to uh, this small town, you know, Joey's portrayed as nervous. She just wants to impress her boyfriend's parents. She is doubting herself as they drive towards the brilliantly named Crestfall Bluffs, uh, with every nervousness and tick coming through in the script and art really, really well and. You know, this this already feels like a fully formed character to me and we're only a few pages in. She's endearing, she's easy to root for, you want her to be accepted and for the trip to go well. 
But the second half of the issue deals with Joey's observations of being surrounded by absolute wealth. You know, these these are people to whom reality does not exist. You know, they have everything hmm. they could ever want. They feel above the law. There is no desire that they could have that could not be satisfied. And I think that makes for really fertile horror ground. You know, there are things that do seem alien to the normal person, but it's just another day to them. You know, we see everything through Joey's eyes and the excess of how the other half live. And to be honest, in a world, you know, I'm talking about our own one now, in a world where the rich are getting richer, particularly in the aftermath of the pandemic, this feels like a timely title to me as well. And if I haven't said it enough already, this is an absolutely gorgeous book, you know, from Pius Beck's pencils to Roman Titov's colors. This already feels like a heavyweight creative team. You know, every nuance and expression are well realized and, and tell their own story. The characters all appear unique, they're easy to distinguish, and that's no small feat when you start a first issue with so many characters and background figures and large crowd scenes and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, for me overall, this I thought this fantastic first issue full of loads of interesting characters, a brilliant hook for a modern horror story, gorgeous art and great writing. I mean, what more could you ask for? It uh, seems to me that Boom have yet another hit on their hands. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. As you say, it felt like something from Jordan Peele. Um, you know, very much in the in the in the the, the frame of, of Get Out. Um, yeah, removed from reality, as you say, these these people are so rich that they they just it's a totally different world, and it has no limits. They decide themselves what is right and what is wrong. There's no moral no moral thread there at all. It's it's uh, it's amazing. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. it was. Uh, I figured I would enjoy it, but it, yeah, it's there's it's creepy, it's nasty, it's uh, yeah, very very good, and she's a great uh, a great point of view character as well. Yeah, very much so. So yeah, I just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. I gave it a second reread today as well, and you know, it just really really stands up. So yeah, so my pick of the week there was Eat the Rich number one. So what title, pray do tell, was able to beat out Supergirl: Woman of Tomorrow three? Ah, surprising, precisely no one. Uh, the book that, uh, that that took my heart, this given given the villain in this book, I suppose that's a, an appropriate uh, <laughs> way of putting it, uh, was Nightwing eighty three by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. I mean, I I'm not trying to pick this every time it comes out, but it's it's hard not to like. I mean, <laughs> is there anybody not reading Nightwing now at this stage? Because if you, if you're not reading it. You, you're doing something wrong for yourself. <laughs> it's uh, this is the end of the first arc of the Infinite Frontier era, I believe. And uh, I mean, these guys haven't been doing this book for a year, and they're already doing character-defining work. Um, the the arc finishes, but gives you loads to look forward to, and it just looks gorgeous. It gives you all the feels you've come to expect from from Tom Taylor, particularly on this title, and. It's really putting Dick Grayson where he is, where he deserves to be in the DC universe, not just in costume, but out of costume. Uh, you know, as a now with 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 the gift that Alfred gave him, making him uh, one of the the richest people in the world, he's really trying to turn that to to helping people and showing what difference like someone with money really really could make. Um, it's it's just so good, and it, it, there's there's such a rotating cast around. Nightwing in this book, you know, Barbara's in there, Tim's in there, uh, and you really get the feel of the, you know, the Bat family and and Nightwing as the, as the beating heart of that family, 
you know, Batman might be the, no, I would argue that Oracle's maybe the backbone, Batman might be the brain, but, you know, Nightwing's definitely the heart, um, and you really feel that here, and there, there's a lovely moment at the end of the book um, where, uh, you know, the Dick has, has announced the uh, the formation of the, the, the Alfred Pennyworth Foundation and what it's going to do, and then his phone starts dinging on the family, the family, the Bat Family WhatsApp group, you know. Which we all want <laughs> so to be a part of. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're all, you know, nice work, you know. Uh, you know, not that it's a competition, but you win from Damien. <laughs> you know, and then his phone rings and he's like, hey, you don't usually call. <laughs> and of course, it's Bruce, it's Batman on the other end and just saying, thanks, uh, Dick, you honoured him today. Uh, and it starts out with it's got everything. This issue has everything, and it. it starts out with a knockdown, drag out fight with uh, with Blockbuster, you know, on a roof, and uh, that's cool. And Nightwing using all his tricks and swinging through the helicopter. It's just action packed, um, and uh, you know, we really see the detail of how he uses his his rattan sticks, you know, and that. And then we have the you know the the burgeoning relationship with with Barbara and. We've got some of the, the Titans in here. We've got Leslie Tompkins. We've got uh, Lucius Fox. It's just, and then there's, in the middle, there's a great scene with Superman. You know, you know, Dick has an idea. He has to run it by, uh, by Clark. Um, you know, and Clark's saying, no way, you're running an idea by me. <laughs> you're, you know, you're who you are. You're the, you're the heart. But then there's a, there's also a lovely moment where, uh, which, I think we'll move back into, you know, I guess it it references Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman and uh, and the and Tom Taylor's uh Superman son of Kal-El, uh where where Clark says I might have to go away for a while. A lot will fall on my son John. It would mean a lot if you would give him some some guidance and some friendship. Uh, and Nightwing says, Of course, if you think I can help, he goes, honestly, I couldn't think of a better role model. Which is common from Superman, you know. Superman is effectively entrusting entrusting Dick Grayson with his most precious thing, mm. uh, which is which is really really something and says a lot. Yeah, this was this was just a phenomenal issue, wasn't it? Yeah, this was uh, this was the issue, and as you say, given that it's been in such a short space of time, it's only been since Nightwing seventy eight that this team have come on board. Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo, but this was the issue that for me took Nightwing as a title ahead of Tinian's Batman and you know I I I don't think that's a small statement it's just that good and I we speak about it every I sound like such a broken record talking about Tom Taylor but just the (laughs) efficiency of storytelling you know you've got him learning about his sister and you know trying to form a plan with her you've got a fight on a rooftop you've got a chat with superman you've got the bat family's reactions to his plan you've got him outlaying what his plan will be you've got heartless's reaction to his plan and in between all of that you've got heart and you've got humor and it's just the best it's probably the best book out there from any company (laughs) i think you could be right i think it absolutely is one of the one of the best if not the best book on the shelves today and there are so many great books that isn't yeah it's a not a not a light statement to make you know um and even just the the end that last page you know where we've got heartless with a like a heart in a jar and uh dick grayson you know this guy yes my first i owe him so much uh he made me who i am today interesting yeah 
And, and even down to the detail of the cover, which is Nightwing swinging into a behind-the-scenes sort of, you know, large structure, and he's slowly changed into a suit. And, you know, I, I love the detail on the cover of just as he's coming down the steps to step out on stage. <laughs> he remembers the mask. He's like, crap, mask. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, you know, yeah, again, I like I, the- I've always been a fan of Nightwing, not certainly to the degree that you are, but I have always been a fan of Nightwing. But this just takes it to another level for me. I've always been a big fan of the new 52 run. There's some great stuff through there. But this book just has everything. And again, it, it kicks off with blockbuster action and ends with you, you know, holding back the tears, you know. <laughs> and the, the conversation between two people who are clearly Bruce Wayne's best friends, mm-hmm. uh, clearly Batman's best friends, Nightwing and, and, and Superman, you know, and Superman's effectively going, have you spoken to Bruce? And he goes... Can I just text? He'll probably appreciate the non-personal touch and Superman's <laughs> hearty laugh. You know, as Bruno Redondo focusing on, on the Man of Steel's face, he goes, ha, that's true. For a man who has fearlessly stood up to Darkseid, Bruce will do a lot to avoid a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great understanding of these characters. That's that's yeah. what makes the book so good. And, you know, wasn't it, wasn't it Clark that gave him the name Nightwing as well? It was. It know, was. So a nice yeah. wee reference back there as well. But... You know, even Superman, how he responds to Dick, you know, where Dick's sort of saying, like, oh, the idea still feels small. He's like, it's not small, it's focused. You know, it's, you know, he's fully on board with what Dick wants to do, and he's he's full faith that he'll be able to pull it off. And, and yeah, that part where Batman just basically, or Bruce reaches out to basically say, you know, you, you've done him proud today. You know, I, I'm still getting over Alfred's death at this point. Yeah, you know, yeah, so. yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, again, I, I would have been more than happy to pick this as my book of the week, and... You know, it's not a statement I make lightly, but this is probably the best comic consistently coming out in the shelves right now. Uh, yeah, just outstanding stuff. And as you say, that's the end of the first arc. The first collection has been solicited. I think it's either November or December it comes out. So as Keith says, if you're not on this, get on it and then get on the single issues because you're missing out on something really special at the moment. Mm, so, so Nightwing 83 as pick of the week for 18th of August. So that brings us to the last week we're going to cover this week which is the 25th of august we'll bring a close to august and then for the next reviews pod we're going to be in september we're getting there <laughs> Yay. we're getting there but plenty to discuss before then which is the 25th of august so this week my breakdown is as follows 30 titles in total on the pull list this week 15 of those are dc so exactly half uh, just the four Marvel titles this week. I think this was a week where there was maybe some that weren't delivered to us or something like that. Mm. Uh, and then 11 indie books for me. Uh, what was your breakdown? Uh, just one behind you with 29 titles total. Uh, 14 were DC, 5 were Marvel. So yeah, there weren't too many there. Uh, and 10 were indie. Yeah, we know if you don't have many Marvel titles on there, there must have been something uh, <laughs> something wrong there. <laughs> well, sure, why don't you kick us off then with uh, an image book, I believe? Yeah, sure thing. I mean, again, another another great book, uh, one that, that always sits at the, the, the sort of the top of my, my list with regard to what I'm enjoying, uh, and that's Department of Truth number 12. It's another great chapter in a series that there's nothing else quite like it uh, that I've ever really read. Um, it's kind of a story that, that messes with you a wee bit, you know, as we go back into, into Cole's... Uh, into Cole's background and history and the, the manipulations of hawk even even that far back and and, and cole's childhood uh, and just exactly how much has been how much has been manipulated so yeah this is just uh, it's department of truth i mean if, if, you, if you're not reading it i mean this is just a great you know 
comment on conspiracy theories, which are right at the heart of of, of today's post-truth society. And, you know, the, there's stuff in here about the black helicopters of the 60s and, you know, where they came from and fluoride in the water and all of this, all of this sort of stuff, which, you know, of course, the core concept of this series is that if enough people believe a thing, that thing will become real. Reality is, is mutable. And the Department of Truth exists to try and stabilize reality by whatever nefarious means are necessary. And and Cole, or not Cole, Hawk is uh, is definitely right at the at the heart of that. But yeah, another another great uh, another great uh, issue that goes into some real deep deep conspiracy stuff and and where in the Department of Truth universe those stories have come from. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, it continues to be a very very consistent title, and as you say, reaching issue twelve. Uh, another consistent indie title that we talk about pretty much every time an issue comes out, but is definitely worth mentioning this time as it is the very welcome return of it. Uh, this is Once in Future number 19. So, as I say, very welcome return of Kieran Gillen, Dan Moore, mm-hmm. and Tamara Bonvillain's epic fantasy tale, except most importantly, it's no longer fantasy. It has spilled out into the real world. So, mm-hmm. so begins volume four due to the. Uh, full-headedness of a certain prime minister uh which we'll not go into but uh (laughs) what's cool is you know issue 19 it opens in a sort of familiar area that we've been to before so we're able to get a sense of how some things have remained the same but others have completely changed and and the other world has connected now to the real world and the fact that once in future has been turned so upside down you know this is a complete game changer for this series for me and it makes an absolute thrill to read you know what magical beasties have made their way to the world? What horrors the Duncan, Bridget and Rose have to face now? You know, all bets are pretty much off in the world of Once and Future as we press forward. And I, I look forward to every single issue. The art continues to astound. Dan Mora is one of my favourite artists working at the moment. I feel his absence every time he's not on Detective Comics. Uh, just continues to be one of the best looking books on the shelves. And again, if you're late to the party, trades are available. You need to get caught up in this. This is this is some of the best comics around as well, I would I would venture. Yeah, I love it. Just love the concept of it. The the idea, again, that s- similar to Department of Truth, which we just talked about, you know, and that stories can can inform reality, I guess. And and uh, with this arc of Once and Future, most certainly are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love I love where they're based. I love that they're based out of the old people's home. <laughs> yeah, that was some of the best storytelling, actually, in the third arc, where there was the attack in the old people's home as well. So... I know this all sounds ridiculous, dear listener, but trust us, pick up Once in Future. It'll all make sense and you'll be introduced to the best grandmother in comics uh, in Bridget. So, uh, yeah, Once in Future number 19. Uh, what have you got up next for us? <laughs> just just off the back of your last comment there, the best the best grandmother in comics. That's debatable and that's interesting because there are so many cool grandmothers in comics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could can, uh, uh, do a separate yeah, pod yeah. on that. Uh, <laughs> We can go. Uh, we can go. The Last Witch. We can go. Bone. Uh, you know there are there are some really cool cool comic grandmothers. Uh, for me, uh, I'm uh, hitting the uh, the Spider Verse again with uh, Amazing Spider Man seventy two, which follows on from last week's Sinister War number three. I think um, this issue is an essential chapter if you're reading Sinister War, but if you're not, you can also enjoy it on its own. It's a very enjoyable issue by uh, by Nick Spencer, um, and it focuses on on Norman Osborn. Um, rather than on the the, the continuing uh, knockdown drag out battle with the, between Spider Man and and the various sixes of the thirty or so villains that he's trying to he's trying to fight, um, 
but yeah, it focuses on on, on Osborne. We look at uh, we look at uh, one more day, and we look at the influence of Mephisto on on the Green Goblin right the way through the Green Goblin's origin. So there's a wee bit of retconning here, and we're looking at yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff from from Norman's history and uh, and how that's impacted on on Harry. And uh, we're promised at the end of this a big reveal uh, about uh, about Kindred. So really looking forward to uh, to the next issue. Uh, continues in Sinister War 4 and the enemies in Spider-Man 73. This is an epic. Sinister War is an epic story. So from uh, a title featuring Keith's favourite character that I'm not reading to a title featuring my favourite character that Keith's not reading. Uh, <laughs> try saying that sentence three times fast. Uh, so for me, next up, Batman Reptilian number three hit this week as well. And, uh, you know, th- this is a series that very much landed on its tone from page one of issue one. And it will be consistent all the way through. So I do think this is the kind of title you can decide pretty quickly whether you like it or not. Um, but yeah, this is this is a cold, stark world Lennis and Sharp have created. And and again, I'm all for it. You know, with, with each issue, Gotham feels more and more hopeless. You know, a cesspit filled with despair where, where even the villains are not safe and their reputations provide absolutely no protection. I mean, we're at issue three and even the Joker is targeted in this one. You know, no one is safe. Uh, as a side note, if there was one thing that would maybe bring you back to this title, it's the uh, the scenes with Alfred and Bruce. You know, oh, yeah. in this, Alfred knows he's lost Bruce to the monster that is Batman, and there's real regret in Alfred's glib and cynical replies to everything Bruce asks him. You know, he he sort of knows he may never see the Bruce Wayne he has helped to raise ever again. There's something quite heartbreaking about the scenes between the two of them. There's always one in every issue. And they're always, for me, despite all the darkness and all the horror in this series, they're the hardest scenes to read because you can just see, like, Alfred wishing that better life for Bruce, but, you know, it's just not going to happen. But, uh, yeah, another gorgeous issue from Liam Sharp. Again, the art style is, is an acquired taste, but but I absolutely love it. And, you know, I've said it before, it echoes Arkham Asylum with endless nightmarish imagery and, and vivid colouring as well. So... I think it's only running for either five or six issues, but for me that's too short. I would I would take this as a as an ongoing, but uh, I don't think I'll bring you back to it at this point. Despite the the beautiful Alfred Bruce scenes, I'll cut I'll cut those scenes out and put them all together for you. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> um, spot on. Uh, well, we're staying in the DC universe for another uh, pick from myself, and uh, again, it's a, it's a Tom Taylor joint, um, and uh, it is uh, Superman. Son of Kal-El, number two, uh, from, as uh, as I say, Tom Taylor and John Timms is the artist. And this is, I guess, what we're referring to with Nightwing. Uh, you know, the idea that Superman has to go away for a while and he's uh, he's leaving the, the mantle. And indeed, very literally the mantle, as uh, as John dons his father's cape um, and, and asks himself whether or not he can be Superman and still have a normal life. So... We kick off with uh, with John's new secret identity, uh, Finn Connors, uh, blonde wig and everything, uh, <laughs> driving to school. And I suppose Finn Connors. There's a there's a, a few uh, few deep cuts in there with regard to where that name came from, um, you know, in, in Superman and, and Justice League history. But he's not through the door of the college uh, when a school shooter uh, rocks up and very quickly Finn Connors, the secret identity is blown. <laughs> a matter so, of as, minutes. <laughs> matter of minutes yeah that's gone and then it's a you know it's a chat with his father on the moon about uh you know the sort of superman he needs to be and he wants to be and uh 
you, you know, it, it's the difference. The difference being that, you know, John is a as a kid of planet Earth. You know, he was born on planet Earth in the way that Kaliel was not. You know, this is your place. This is your planet. You know, it's it might be Superman's adopted planet, but it's the planet that John is from, and and uh, that's why he can afford to be a different Superman. Why he can afford to get involved in things that maybe Kaliel can't. Um, so very interesting. And then you know he's he's given the house key as every teenage kid you know has handed their first house key. But whenever your your house key is a giant key to the Fortress of Solitude, that's kind of cool. Uh, but there's some really interesting stuff in here as. As John, you know, he's he's watching a, a website like a YouTube uh, channel called The Truth, and you know they're talking very much about you know uh, this Gamoran government and that you know the 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 refugees that are coming from it, people are dying, and John intervenes to rescue refugees in a boat, and and then there's the the offshoot of that. He brings them to Metropolis, and the police are arresting them, and John's you know burning off the handcuffs and going, these people need help. They don't need restraint. It's really interesting stuff, and and the interest then at the end as as John sort of realizes maybe the impact, or maybe doesn't realize the impact of of his actions, and we're introduced or reintroduced to Henry Bendix, who is the president of this country from which the refugees were coming and i believe henry bendix is a an extraction from the white storm universe hmm. um but he's setting up uh, setting up john's first arch enemy by the looks of it yeah good book it is similar to Supergirl. it's a character that normally i would know an awful lot about but again tom taylor in this case as opposed to tom king the other one but just makes it very approachable brings you up to speed very quickly with issue one and then you know builds on that mm-hmm. for issue two so yeah solid choice right there uh next up for me is Chew number seven, which is otherwise known as the title that not enough people are reading. You know, we only have a few pulls for Chew in store, and I I really think that's a real shame because it's one of the most witty, original, engaging titles coming out at the moment. Stellar character work and great storytelling. Uh, in issue seven, so Saffron, our, our main character, has teamed up with her loser boyfriend, Eddie, and her senile grandfather uh, to steal a 200-year-old bottle of wine that is due for auction. You know, what can possibly go wrong? Well, everything. Uh, it's a strange thing to say about something that it is a continuous narrative, but every issue of Chew feels like a one-shot. You know, there is a connecting storyline going on in the background that will connect issue to issue. But every issue, the characters have set goals and there's a beginning, a middle and an end to each story. So every issue almost feels like a one shot. It's it's almost very like like a TV show almost, you know, very episodic. And that, you know, a single episode will have that beginning, middle and end, but it's part of a larger narrative. And I don't think every comic is always like that. Sometimes it just feels like you get to your 30th page and it's like end of this issue, pick it up in the next one. But this one, you know, has a slightly different style and... Dan Boltwood's art, you know, continues to be great, you know, proves more than capable of stepping into Rob Gilroy's shoes and putting his own stamp on this world and their characters, you know. I can never praise Chew highly enough for, indeed, its predecessor series, C-H-E-W. Get on the trades, people. This is a fantastic series and a brilliant, uh, brilliant, brilliant comic book series all around. I got that first trade. Was that the first five or the first six issues? Uh, That was the first five, I believe. Right. 
I should so. maybe pick up six and seven then. Um, I really enjoyed the trade, and I meant to. I meant to. Or I'll maybe get the next trade and then jump on the the singles. Yeah, it's definitely worth um, continuing to follow. It's just John Lehman's just kind of having so much fun being back in this universe again. He probably thought he never would in any way because Chew did have a very defined ending, and it, and it ended very well for me anyway. Uh, but this was a good way of taking a sideways step in that universe, but you know, still, you know, remaining true to that universe. So yeah, two at number seven, and I believe number eight is actually out this week, just thinking about it. So uh, mm. yeah, that's for me. What is next up for yourself? I believe we're hitting a bit of uh, Marvel love now. We we are hitting Marvel, and I wouldn't say a fill-in issue, but a, a bridging issue uh, of uh, Conan with uh, Conan number, Conan the Barbarian number 24 from uh, from Jim Zub and Corey Smith. And last issue, we had Conan, you know, stopping the coup and breaking free of the dark power and leaving the uh, eastern nation of Katai uh, behind a little, a little wiser. And we have him sailing back towards uh, back towards his, his, his home spot. But Jim Zub and, 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 and uh, what did I say? Jim Zub and Corey Smith, um, They've created it's a prequel to a classic Conan story, a story called Queen of the Black Coast, and this sort of ties really neatly to that story, which you don't need to know to really enjoy this issue, and and also to the the up and coming uh, Conan number twenty five, which is also the landmark three hundredth issue. Everybody knows Conan as the the landborn, you know, barbarian, but he's also got a long history as a pirate, and uh, this we have we have sort of young Conan and learning that the sea shouldn't be underestimated. And there's all sorts of mystical, uh, I guess, premonitions and all sorts of cool stuff. Looks great. It's a great action-packed tale and, and a great character's dialogue is just pitch perfect. You know, there's a whole lot of Vikram, <laughs> you know, and all that, that good stuff. And, the you know, the ship fight in the ocean. It's just it's really, really cool stuff. Um, man versus... Man versus nature and Conan versus his destiny, and very much leading into that 300th issue. Did you enjoy? Yeah, I mean, this actually took me back to Savage Sword of Conan because the first uh, issue of it was set at sea, where he ended up being a prisoner of pirates. And because right. I'd only recently read that, so it was a bit fresh in my mind, but I actually thought it was a wee bit of a, I had a little bit of a prequel feeling to that as well as obviously the, the classic story you had mentioned. So. Yeah, I mean, Conan will always be held up as the example of why I should listen to you and read Iron Man, but, you know, I'm just <laughs> not there yet. I'm just You're not too there. stubborn. You're too stubborn. <laughs> I'll get there. Uh, but I will stay in the world of Marvel for my next uh, honorable mention, and uh, for me it is Spider-Man Life Story Annual number one, and this was a welcome return, I thought, to the world, you know, created by Chip Zdarsky and Mark Bagley, you know, as, as well as they followed Peter Parker through different decades, touching classic storylines, an incidents but with the caveat that peter would age in real time throughout the story you know i did wonder when this was first announced was there really anything else to say uh but yes there was uh how did J. jonah jameson react to it all this is actually a tough story to read uh but also a brilliantly crafted one you know jameson essentially let his hatred for spider-man his insistence that he was nothing more than a menace take over his entire life to the point that he couldn't tell the difference between right and wrong we, we follow Jameson throughout the decades, you know, all within this one issue. As he responds to Spidey's acts of heroism with his natural cynicism 
and watch as he unravels, pushing people away from him as his obsession becomes all-consuming until, of course, it is too late. Uh, I thought this was up there in Pick of the Week territory. I have to admit, I thought this would probably be your Pick of the Week when I saw the release scheduling. Um, you know, Zadarsky and Bagley combined brilliantly again. Uh, and there is going to be an, an upcoming hardcover collection, which has the one to six miniseries, but it'll also include this annual as well. So, you know, I, I, I would call this essential for any Spider-Man fan, but also essential for any comic fan. Just brilliant, brilliant storytelling, I thought. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I'm very familiar with, you know, Jameson's history in the, the mainline 616 universe of, you know, creating the Scorpion and financing the Spider Slayer and all of that sort of stuff. But here we really see the the impact of those things, of those criminal activities, of that obsession and hatred, you know, for the menace that is Spider-Man that just, you know, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that there's a more realistic in some ways, turn for it to have taken, mm-hmm. um, you know. But yeah, I really, I did really, I really enjoyed venturing back into that that universe. Um, I did, but there was much less Spider Man than I would have liked, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, just it, it is tough to read in places because you know Jameson is always going to be sort of a, you know, he's he's a character you love to hate so to speak you know and he's always going to have that downfall but as you say sort of seeing the consequences of that obsession and you know pushing family away and and everything else but yeah it was a tough read but i thought a really really good one as well so yeah spider-man life story annual number one and i believe another marvel related title yes sir uh we're going for uh dark hawk number one uh by uh kyle higgins and one on ramirez I don't know if you're familiar with Dark Hawk, but uh, Dark Hawk was a, a big style '90s hero, uh, a, a kid who uh, got a hold of a got a hold of a, an alien amulet and uh, exchanged bodies with a with an alien cyborg, becoming becoming Dark Hawk. Um, this revamps this hero for a new generation, and you know Kyle Higgins from uh, obviously Radiant Black and uh, and a few other bits and pieces of the Power Ranger stuff. Uh, and he, I don't think this hero could be in better hands. The, you know, Darkhawk is given a new identity and challenges to overcome. Uh, even if you know nothing about Darkhawk, definitely worth a read. Uh, we're introduced to a 17-year-old Connor Young. He's a star basketball player, life ahead of him, until a really unexpected medical diagnosis changes everything. Uh, we find out he has MS. Uh, and then he happens, you know, so his life totally changes, not not necessarily for the better. Uh, but then this mysterious ambulance, he finds it or, or it finds him and it gives him powers beyond belief. And we're just sort of figuring out what he's going to do with these abilities. And, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the background here. And it's just great to see uh, great to see Darkhawk back. And I'm really interested. Uh, there's there's a, a note that uh, we're going to see what. What happened to the original Darkhawk? Um, you know the original. Um, oh God, I've, I've totally forgotten his name. It just, it absolutely escapes me. Um, just at the minute, but uh, but yeah, this is it's just it's a really good book. I don't know. Did you pick it up? No, it's uh, this was maybe one Marvel deep cut too many for me. I I have to say, and uh, something that spins out of the nineties doesn't always hold the pill for me. <laughs> well, that said, you know. The maximum of follow creators, Kyle Higgins. I would, uh, I would recommend you, uh, you maybe, you maybe take a wee look at this one. It's quite, quite poignant as well. That's um, fair. He he did do a really good Nightwing run, and as you say, it's uh, 
very much loving Radiant Black at the moment as well. So that's yep. Darkhawk number one. Uh, my last one from this week is the usual check-in on something is killing the children because a week can't go by where an issue comes out. We don't talk about it. And, you know, it's we, we always highlight this simply because it's one of Boom's best series. And, and for me, it's a title that's not slowing down anytime soon. With this arc, we're, we're continuing to learn more and more about the House of Slaughter, their initiation process, and, and how Erica came to be. And I've absolutely loved this arc, you know, learning about Erica as a character, how... You know, she used the trauma of her parents' death and turned it into something which, while not necessarily healthy, is definitely productive and in service of a greater good to the world, even if she is a pawn that's obviously being manipulated by the House of Slaughter as well. And, you know, it continues to be an absolutely beautifully beautiful title. You know, haunting visuals, whether Deladera's art, great colors, great use of darkness and shadows. And, and my favorite detail of something that's killing the children is always those really expressive Erica eyes. Uh, so mm. trades one to three are now back in stock and Storcy trying to keep trade volume one in stock it is impossible uh, because this is a series that continues to uh, to sell well and, and people are really loving it so only one issue left of this arc I believe and then we'll be jumping back into the full blooms something is killing the children world and we of course have that upcoming spin-off series coming soon House of Slaughter as well so it's a mm. good time to be a something is killing the children fan yeah loved it loved it this was a this was a great issue so uh yeah something is killing the children 19 so what else have we got another another marvel one from yourself yeah and i suppose that's a fairly deep cut as well this is part of uh, al ewing's last annihilation which is running through sword and guardians of the galaxy and it's been a great series the the crux of it is that ego the living planet uh has been possessed by dormammu uh and that the planet has become a, a manufacturing you know, it's manufacturing mindless ones, sent them out across the galaxy, trying to cut to uh, under, yes, trying to take over these five core worlds. And when it does that, that's great stuff. I'm really, really enjoying it. But uh, I, I can't look past a book where Cable, the original old man Cable, not the young kid Cable, not mm-hmm. teeny bopper Cable, uh, you know, is 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 reintroduced in his in all his glory. So. You know, it does. It does say it. The big gun is back, um, and uh, he's uh, he's working for Sword. Uh, he's he's all mechanical arm and glowing eye and big guns and shoulder pads, uh, the way uh, the man who can't draw feet imagined him. Um, but it's just a great issue. Rocket Raccoon, um, you know, sends sends Cable on a on a mission effectively to uh, to find a big old weapon that can destroy Dormammu, the living planet. And uh, Cable assembles uh, an X-Force team, uh, effectively, to do it. So there's a couple of old X-Force originals, Cannonball and Boom Boom, and uh, a few others in there. But it's just a great, it's just a great story. A um, couple of really big battles, um, some sneaking into uh, Brick World, which uh, was, uh, I guess, is a, another deep, deep cut for Marvel, a deep Marvel X-Men cut. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just great to see these characters working together. It's great to see original Cable back where he belongs. Um, brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of Cable, and it was great to see Al Ewing on him uh, and uh, really ably illustrated by Bob Quinn. Yeah, getting to see proper Cable again must be a nice thing for you. Oh yes, whenever you talk about '90s goodness, uh, Dark Hawk takes a backseat to Cable for me. <laughs> 
It's a bit like having Nightwing back after having to endure the Rick Grayson years, is it? Yeah, it is. It, it, it kind of, yeah, I suppose, in a, in a way. And Cable Reloaded, it's just a far better comic than it has any right to be, just to, thanks to a great creative team. You know, they lean into the 90s action hero tropes in the best way, and uh, he's rarely looked better. So, mm-hmm. very happy. Cool, cool. Um, one that you've uh, thrown up at me at the at the last minute here, uh, title Echolands. Uh, which was an interesting book. I hadn't realized it was a, a, over this release scheduling, actually, because it was yeah. one I wanted to chat about. But Echo Lands was a really interesting book. It is written by J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. Uh, but the real draw of this is that this is drawn by J.H. Williams III and art by Dave, or sorry, colors by Dave Stewart. And Echo Lands, it's been a long time coming. You know, the book was originally announced three years ago, believe it or not. Uh, and J.H. Williams III has not drawn a long-form comic since he did Salmon Overture with Ooh. Neil Gaiman, which wrapped up in 2015. So, of course, you knew he would be back with something really beautiful and really different as well. Uh, this was a book that was released in a really interesting sort of landscape format. And yep. I was slightly concerned when I first heard that because I thought it was almost going to be like a calendar, you know, like where you flip the book mm. up. But the fact that the staples were at the side really adds to it because it gives it this beautiful, long, widescape sort of um, sort of style. And I must confess, story-wise, it didn't do a lot for me, but the art was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really well written. Uh, but yeah, it absolutely, it, it, it squeezes everything out of its landscape format. It's absolutely so detailed and, and I guess, eye-poppingly beautiful. Uh, great use of panels and, and the depth that it allows. It's almost it's sort of like watching widescreen, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it, uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't, I, th- I was worried that the landscape format was just going to be a gimmick. So I wasn't prepared for it. And yeah, yeah and it's it's so hard to define, so hard to label. Uh, don't know what direction it's going to. Seems very ambitious. Um, is, I don't know, is, is, is the lead, character a kind of a little red riding hood or yeah i mean i i think her name is even um red something i hope red hood yeah uh, so who's a young thief on the run for on the run from sort of like nazi-like authority figures who are working for an evil wizard and mm-hmm. she's got a friend called core and who's sort of a bit like hagrid and it, it just throws a lot at you it's not to say that the story wasn't engaging i just throw thought it threw an awful lot at you in the first issue but that's not always a bad thing. It gives you the sense of going back to it, discovering it a bit more. But I just thought the art was so jaw-dropping and detailed and dynamic and fast-paced. And and again, as you say, the, the landscape thing could have been a gimmick. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I know you're not a fan of, for example, black label books. You know, you, you think sometimes the larger format doesn't add anything. Mm-hmm. But the landscape format definitely adds to this, I think. Yeah, very much. So it's uh, really looking forward to seeing where it goes. Really looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, so um, I'll be curious to see what sort of release schedule it follows because a book that beautiful takes a long time to draw. So I I hope I'm wrong and I hope that, you know, 10 issues are already in the can, but I've got a feeling that's going to be a delayed book and I really okay. hope I'm wrong. Fingers okay. crossed. Um, sorry to uh, sorry to take you off the, uh, off the old uh, decided uh, script there, but um, I just thought it was worth it was worth mentioning. Um, another one that was worth mentioning was uh, Siphon Number no. Two from Image and Top Cow, uh, by Patrick Meany and Motion Ashraf, with uh, art by Jeff Edwards and 
John Callas. I mention it because the first one didn't really grab me a lot, but enough to get its sort of claws in for enough that I thought, you know, issue two might be worth a look. And it really was. This was a massive jump up, sort of built on the stuff in issue one, really pushed the story forward. It really grabbed momentum and furthered the plot and the character in really exciting ways. So we have Silas here, who's a, an EMT, who's been gifted with the power to siphon pain off others. But he, the weight of carrying that, that pain has, even after issue one, has worn him down. He meets another individual, Antonio, who has the other side of the power, the ability to steal people's pleasure from them. And uh, it, it seems that, that Silas has also that power as well. And now it's about whether or not he'll, he'll follow that life or keep carrying the weight and the pain of others. And, you know, then there's the, the deep history stuff. You know, these, these, these people have been around for ages, or at least Antonio has. And uh, he's, he's definitely got some sort of a, an agenda and something that Silas just doesn't quite understand yet. Great stuff. It was a fairly quick read, but a lot going on, a lot established. Yeah, good series. It's a shame it's only three issues because it feels like there's definitely more fertile ground to be explored there. Oh, no. So, it's disappointing to hear. I was I was expecting, you know, now we've got going, we'd have another three or four issues. Unless it's just testing the water with three issues, perhaps, seeing how it goes and uh, seeing if there's going to be more to it. But, yeah, it's a fun series. It's It's got a unique hook to it as well. So, yeah, I've been enjoying that and reading it myself. So that is Siphon number two. So... We will finish off this week then with our picks of the week for 25th of August. And uh, I'll, I'll go first. And where, you know, if there was one issue I could hand to someone to show how safe Batman will be in the hands of upcoming new series writer Joshua Williamson, then this would be it. I am talking about Robin issue five. I mean... Talk about a lesson in how well he understands the Bat family, their pasts, their dynamics, and what makes them tick. And all of it in issue five is within the context of a chase scene. What an issue. Uh, I know I picked issue four as a pick of the week in our last pod, and we always try not to highlight the same titles too often. But given how good this was, I felt I had no choice. Um, with, with the Robin series in general, there's actually been a hell of a lot that has happened to Damien so far. He's ran away from Gotham to join a death tournament. He's died. He's come back to life. He's been thrown off a cliff. He spent some quality time with his much-changed grandfather. And now he must outrun every Robin who came before him, or at least convince them that he knows what he's doing entering this tournament. You know, what's interesting is the, the structure of this issue. Damien is essentially caught up to by each Robin in turn and enters into a conversation with each of them where Damien is able to give his honest opinion on them. Or is he merely manipulating them? You know, this is part of the fun of the issue is you're not 100% sure when Damien's being honest and when he isn't. You know, throughout the issue, Damien is by turns the brat you expect. But he does possibly show a softer side along the way, you know, by having these meaningful conversations with each member of his family. Or again, to bring it back to it, is he being honest? I do like to think he is, you know, knowing that his honesty will throw them off balance and open up an opportunity. But... There's moments of humour throughout the, the issue, especially in how he's able to get away from Jason Todd, especially. But it's his conversations with Dick Grayson that really elevate this issue and had me feeling a lump <laughs> in my throat. You know, I I am an unashamed fan of Dick Grayson's time as Batman, you know, from the Snyder, Jock and Frank Avia Black Mirror run to Morrison and Quitely's Batman and Robin. The character was a really refreshing change for Batman. You know, it was showcasing a dark knight who's a little less dark 
and a little more focused on enjoying being a hero. And his dynamic with a brash, arrogant, darker Robin was a delight. I'm getting choked up just thinking about this. In this, <laughs> in this issue, Williamson shows how much love and respect remain between the pair. And when we had that page of Dick telling Damien, you were my Robin, with images from their previous time together in the background, I nearly lost it. Um, you know, mentioned for the art as well at this point, you know, as that moment is amazingly illustrated. You know, Gleb Melnikov, who launched the series with Williamson, he's back after taking issue four off. And he really brings his A-game here, especially having his own interpretation of an iconic shot from Morrison's run in the background as the line is delivered. You know, this this was one of my favorite moments in any comic this year. And the issue itself, it's the calm before the storm. You know, it's a chance to focus on character moments before the tournament begins in earnest next issue. And for all my excitement that Williamson has taken over Batman, I sincerely hope this title is going nowhere, as it is easily one of DC's best right now as well. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing how so many of DC's best uh, titles and best issues include Dick Grayson. I knew you were going to say uh, that. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong, yeah, but I knew you were going to say that. I thought it was great how, you know, you know, Dick caught up with him in that conversation. It's the first time Damien has had a chance to acknowledge with someone that he was there for the death of Alfred. Yeah. Uh, that comes out, you know, that was, and, and you know, it was uh, yeah. I thought that was a real, a real lovely moment, and uh, that you get the impression that you know Damien's driven to to this competition, to be part of this competition, to win this competition, whatever. But you get the impression if Dick had said, "Don't go," I caught you, you don't go. He wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, he says, you caught me, and Dick goes, did I? Damien, no, stop. I will catch you. Please don't go. Come home. <laughs> please don't. Damien, please don't wink. Please don't run. <laughs> it was just great. Uh, I just thought that was it was fantastic. Uh, really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, just fantastic series, as I say. Get stronger with each issue. I mean, a- any series that can turn you into a Damien fan, I think, are... You know, or at least tolerate Damien. Maybe it's not hard. a fan. This is this has done it. This has done it. It's it's the relationship with with Dick Grayson. I think that that elevates Damien to me as a character as a as a character. But I'm really enjoying. I'm yeah. I'm really enjoying discovering him a wee bit, uh, and 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 the character development that he's getting through this series. Yeah. No, it's absolutely outstanding. As I say, with with Williamson taking over Batman, I just hope this isn't going to turn out to be like a ten issue series or something. I think there's tons of ground to explore here and it, and it's just been brilliant so far so yeah again we we do try not to reiterate the same titles over and over again it maybe it just feels more like it this time because we only recorded last week and robin four was my pick of the week so but yeah there was no way of getting around it this week robin number five my pick of the week for 25th of august so why don't you bring us home then with the last pick of the week then of this week's podcast yeah i mean you say we don't go over the same ground. <laughs> I see a pattern. It's kind of it's kind of hard on a week whenever that Texas blood is released, isn't it? Not to not to just go. There's there's nothing like it. I mean, it's just it's a phenomenal book. Whenever you've got a you've got a pair like Chris Condon and and Jacob Phillips, who are just they're 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 following in the footsteps of 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 Jacob's father sean and his partner ed brubaker who are just are just the best around uh, i mean so we've got 
we've got uh, Eversol 1981 Part 3, which I think is the, isn't it the fourth story arc, really, the third or fourth story arc of the, of the book uh, set in Ambrose County, Texas, the uh, made-up county of, in, in Texas, and it's just phenomenal there is there's there's no better book when it comes to dialogue and character interaction whether they're sitting in a diner whether they're sitting in a police car whether they're you know it's it's just so so good it's you know this is a a southern fried sort of western noir murder mystery uh, there's a whole lot of intrigue and it's just such a slow burner you know, in the same way as the wire is a slow burner, and but it's just worth every minute and every drop of dialogue. You know, these issues have been really, really slow, but the the tension that's been building between characters and is just is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so we we've got a we've got a murder mystery here. You know, uh, a a photographer from uh, sort of California and a missing girl and and all of that good stuff. All of those things that you know just those nail-biting things just just woven together here and uh the story is narrated by joe bob as he relives the events uh of his past and give a look at his, his early career as well as seeing i don't know if it's the beginnings of that dark past of ambrose county or if that darkness has always been there uh you know just just simmering in the background um and the investigation has been helped by Eversol, who is a, a private, the quirky private detective, and he's got a hunch about the whereabouts of the missing girl. And so we we bounce back and forth between the current day and the past. Uh, as Joe Bob tells, I can't remember what the, the what his uh, what the lady detective's name is. Um, I just uh, yeah, I can't remember. But they're in the diner, and and even those moments in the diner, whenever. You got the, the the servers coming over and asking if they want more coffee and just the wee sideways, you know, it's so good. Um, it's it's hard to say anything about this issue because you know we're not sort of at the end of this mystery yet, so we don't know what's what's going on and whether there's a cult involved or whether it's you know it's linked to something like you know the um. Oh God, I've forgotten the name of the I've forgotten the name of the the, the murderers in the seventies. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, oh, the Manson murders. The Manson murders. You know whether it's something like that, but it's just, you know, Jacob Phillips seems to be getting better with every issue. You know, and considering how well they started, that's saying something. And uh, and the as a, there doesn't sometimes doesn't seem like there's a lot happening, but. Chris, Chris Condon just takes a little bit and makes it into a really engaging story that just keeps you on the hook. And, you know, there's some real moments of, oh, yeah, okay. Or you start to work it out for yourself because he's just giving you enough. It's, man, these guys, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, they're both young guys and they are doing so much good work. You know, whenever you're, it, it, it's easy to compare Sean Phillips and Jacob Phillips because they're father and son, but that's not why we're comparing Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, Ted Brubaker and Sean mm -hmm. Phillips. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's just because they are so good. You know the 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 characters they're developing. The Joe Bob, who we're, we're now seeing a good run of his life, and he's just such an engaging character. You know, as and there's so much emotion. You know from. Oh man, from that first issue and and uh, looking for the 
looking for the cake tin or the casserole you know, dish, the, wasn't it? The casserole dish, yeah. It was, it's just, that Texas blood is just phenomenal. It is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's some of the best character work being done and... Sometimes it's not a lot of it's not a lot even through the dialogue. Sometimes it's like there's one panel that comes to my mind. I don't think it's this issue; it's a previous one, where uh, Joe Bob's just out having a cigarette, and he's just you know he's up in the middle of the night and he's sort of seeing things across the road, but then they're not actually there, and it's it's just sort of engaging you in his frame of mind, and it's just drenched in atmosphere. Uh, you know, I I sometimes refer to this book. I was chatting to someone about it the other day as urban drenched neo noir which sound like a lot of fancy buzzwords, but it just it's always the phrase that comes to my mind with this because in a weird way, they're presenting a slower way of life in a small county and all this kind of stuff. But again, there's just such depth to the storytelling that you know it's just so atmospheric. And then now that we're able to dive into the past as well with these you know killings and so forth, it, it gives the story a new nuance as well instead of just you know this old man in his 60s. You know, they, they could utilize this for for so many issues you know they could just go back into his old case files and and so forth and i hope they really do because there's just so much good stuff here so yeah mm, brilliant book. Brilliant book. just can't i mean and i promise i'll try to stop picking it <laughs> but it's just so it's so hard like because it's i mean just just pick up the book and tell us that <laughs> tell us you're picking up the book and loving it because then we'll be able to stop Coming next podcast, Alan's pick of the week, Robin number six, Keith's pick of the week, that Texas blood number 10. We promise not to try and be that uh, predictable. Yeah, absolutely. But such a, such a, such a well-written and great looking book. Yeah. And if you want to see what all the fuss is about and why we keep recommending it so much, you know, the first trade is available. It's, it's at that sweet image price point of nine pounds for volume one. You will not regret it. I mean, it's always one of the ultimate compliments I can give any title if I want to like own an original page from it it's probably a good book and this uh sits proudly on our wall next to deadly class and wolverine and canto so ultimate compliment we can give it there but yeah great and, book uh, every time i mean it was lovely to, to talk to the gents back near the start um but uh i would love to love to get a, a yarn to them again and see how, how things are going now uh got a year in or whatever yeah definitely and, and especially as well just if you are reading this and you enjoy the artwork and we're obviously always skewing the, the virtues of um, following creators, Jacob Phillips, of course, is now partnered up with Chip Zdarsky. They've got a new title coming out from Image called Newburn, which is going to be noir sensibility as well. So, yeah, these, as, as Keith says, these are both young guys, very much at the start of their careers, but they are definitely worth following because their work is, is fantastic. It, it almost comes across as the work of older hands, I would say more experienced hands. So, uh, yeah, that Texas Blood number nine. So that is going to do it for us this week. That is another three weeks banged out. That's the 11th, 18th and 25th of August releases. Uh, we should be back hopefully next week where we'll at least cover the next two weeks after that, possibly even three weeks, depending where both of our reading is at. <laughs> With, uh, that was very, very decent of you to take that one whenever we know it's all my fault. Not at all. Not at all. I have an Injustice volume to finish before I start this week's pull list. Well, I say that I read like five issues from this week earlier, but you know, don't tell anybody it's only Tuesday. So, but uh, yeah, thanks as always to my, my brother in arms when it comes to chatting comics. Uh, thank you very much for your time as always and you know every time we do this especially when it's like covering a couple of weeks it just makes me want to go back and read comics and i just don't have the time 
<laughs> I want to go back and read some of those issues again. So yeah, no, that was uh, that was great fun, great fun, and uh, yeah, we'll be back very very soon with the uh, with another two or three weeks. Absolutely, and a, and a preview spot will be coming your way soon as well. So we'll leave it there for tonight. I will look forward to seeing you in store tomorrow, my friend. And uh, yes, to everyone out there, we'll look forward to seeing you in store also. So take it easy out there, and good night. Good night. So I've been Alan Taylor, and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.